special report. Neil Armstrong may have seen extraterrestrials on the moon. When he spies a discernible shape. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer. Because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Full Spectrum Universe. My name is Rob Yox, with you always. It is going to be an incredible ride today. We're going to get real scientific. It's going to be something that I am super passionate about. It's going to be so much fun. So let me introduce my guest. This gentleman by the name of Mark Fiorentino, and he is a self-taught metaphysician who worked in an accomplished troubleshooter for a technologies company like IBM and Harris Government Systems. He worked primarily as a computer uh, electronics technician and developed many award-winning state-of-the-art software programs that solve problems concerning failure analysis of electronic assemblies and computer systems. And he has used this skill set with the ability to identify patterns in mathematics and nature to analyze the biggest problem of them all. And I will let him go into it a little bit further. He is also an acclaimed author, and his book is completely amazing. It is uh, The Secrets of the Universe Revealed in this book, but I will let him introduce all of it. Let's bring in Mark. Mark, how are you? Fine, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks. Thank you for being here. It is a true honor and a privilege to talk to you today. It's what we've talked about so far, just in the green room for a minute, has, has sparked a ton of interest in me, and I can't wait to dive into this. So yeah. let's start off right in the beginning. You're, let's start off where your love of science and or technology came into play for you in a major way. Well, it started very early on at 10 years old, and I'm, I have good solid memories of this because I was supposed to do a report for actually for catechism uh, for the nun who asked me to in our class to find a saint born on our birthday. So I went home to ask my parents. There was no Internet in 1965. So I looked around. I asked, you know, my parents, I uh, I went over to the calendar and I remember looking at the calendar. It's funny how such a little memory sticks in your head like that. But I remember looking at the calendar and seeing Albert Einstein on March 14th, which is my birthday. So I said, well, um, not a saint probably, but I'll go look him up and see what it's about. Went to the Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, just sat on the floor and opened the book to Albert Einstein, started, started reading about him. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. I just felt uh, a, a connection somehow. And from that, I also went and read an article in the encyclopedia uh, about the unified field theory. And remembering and reading that, I thought to myself, this idea really makes sense. And I want to know more about it. So from that point on, I became very interested in science 
all the sciences in, in general, I were, I was interested in, and I it was my favorite subject in school. And, um, I just, just loved it, loved astronomy and, and, uh, geology and the weather and <laughs> anything scientific, you know, learning how things actually work, studying the nature of things. That's, that became what I kind of naturally did just because I was very curious and I wanted to know um, this deep thing, this this unified field there. I, I was thinking someday I would read, somebody would discover it, you know, in a book. And I, so I was always reading articles about it. And I continued doing that throughout my life, teenage years, um, older years, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, continued to read about it. And then Along the way, the idea came up for the theory of superrelativity, which first hit me in the year 1993. That's the official year that I, you know, I came up with my theory, which was just an extension of Einstein's theory. Really, my work is very much an extension of Einstein, Lorenz, Maxwell, um, Newton, and Faraday. Those are the five main guys that really I thought contributed tremendously uh, to figuring out you know, there was a pattern in the work. And I, you know, I recognize that. And, and That's I, pretty, it's uh, pretty wild too, because you know, what you talked about with your, uh, what you did for computers is recognizing those patterns. So now in 1993, this pattern hits you and what, you know, a lot of people, when they study works, of course, they always want to engage and, and add to them in that sense. What did you see that made you stop and go, wait a minute, I can go further. I'm ready to go further. Let's do this. Let's let's propel past this point because I know there's an answer there. Well, yeah. In that year, I I was working in a research and development lab at IBM, and there was this uh very bright mathematician uh, student. We had co-ops. They worked during the summer usually, uh, but eventually they worked all year round. They would take a few uh, some you know, semester or two off. And they'd come work for IBM. It was a great program. I loved uh, working with the young guys and girls, and they were so bright and ambitious and and knowledgeable. And and this one guy, he was a math expert. And he had a problem in finite mathematics. And I, he brought his model in one day, and he was the physical model. It was a geometric shape with, you know, line, vertices and lines and so forth. And he was trying to figure out this formula. So I said, no, that's pretty interesting. And he was telling me about it. And he told me it was in Boolean logic. So that means, you know, AND gates, OR gates, and the that's a Boolean math. So there, that's a certain type of math where there's basically ones and zeros and you've got logic gates that uh, you can make formulas using this. And that's what the circuits are born from. And integrated circuits come from Boolean logic. So he thought there was an equation that you could do that would generate a specific pattern of numbers that would not repeat and would eventually, in a sort of a random way, generate each number for a given um, dimension. So, you know, the smaller dimensions is pretty easy to solve the equation because there's only a few, uh, you know, possibilities. Uh, right. 
you know, two, then four, it keeps doubling, eight, 16, 32, 64. And once you get to the, the big side of it, it gets tremendous. So the equation has to morph each time it increases in its dimension. So so he's working on, this is for his master's thesis, I think, or, or, or his doctor, I'm not sure which, but um, so he had the first three sets or the first three equations done. And I looked at them and I smiled to myself because I saw the pattern. All right. And I, I said, first of all, I told him, you're right. There is going to be this formula does exist. You're, you're going to, you're going to get it. And I says, well, he asked me, would you mind working? I said, I'll take it home. I'll put it in the computer tonight, test it. And I'll, you know, I'll let you know in the morning. So I went home, put it in, uh, used my programming to put it in so I could test for the higher dimensions. So he had first, second, third, maybe the fourth. And then I, um, and they were working on this for months. So I said, I'll, you know, I've, I solved the fifth in about 15 to 20 minutes. And the sixth and the seventh in equal amount, even though the number of the permutations go up dramatically each time. What I saw was that the program, uh, the, the equation itself was forming a geometric structure. The equation was symmetrical and was forming a geometry in the equation itself. So oh, wow. really easy to say, I okay, it's like this. This one looks like this. Now this one looks like this, and this one, and then you keep adding to it. And even though the permutations went up into the hundreds of thousands, then the millions, I says. If you see the pattern, the next uh, dimension is easy to solve. And I showed him that the next day. And then he took that to his um, professor and says, I got it. I got the equation. There is an equation you can do. Now, this isn't finite mathematics. So there's some computer thing right. you can do with it, which he would never tell me. I says, what exactly it would help me if you tell me what exactly you can do with this? What's the application? And he wouldn't say. He wouldn't say it. <laughs> wow. So I think it might have to do maybe with neural networks or something. That's just a guess on my part. But wow, yeah, yeah, that would make sense, right? Because that exponentially well, is like it makes it this. It has a decision-making process that's based in the Boolean logic, and it gives you every possible guess for each dimension, but right. not like you know one, two, three, four, and then one, right. two. Three, four, six, you know, five, six, it's like three, nine, 12, 15, 89, 23, you know, some strange pattern. Uh, and so that's wild to think about that, like that with the neural link. That's yeah. crazy. That's so, crazy. So the, what thrilled me about the whole thing is his, his um, professor said, Hey, you discovered new math. This doesn't exist in any textbook. And, and when he told me that I couldn't sleep that night because I didn't, Holy cow, you did something that only Newton and Einstein and Lorenz, it's new math. And, and I was excited. And when I realized that I did that, then I said to myself, well, maybe you got a shot at solving the unified field theory problem. So it was on that time and that day that I decided to, to start making notes and, and, and take a shot at it myself. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible that, you know, and, and you, like you said, that new math, that doesn't happen 
but once in a lifetime for some people, if at all, ever for anybody. I mean, it's 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 been a long time since anybody really came together for something that was that important. I mean, there I'm sure there's little advances in, in different types of math, but you know, this is completely new. So if, if people need to grasp the longevity and, and the magnitude of what that means, that is basically like creating an entire new language for a civilized society. That's essentially what it is, because language is, you know, math is like language. There's numbers that are like language. So he's basically creating new value points. That That's a, that's amazing. I didn't know that, 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 that you had done that. And now... Let's get into a little bit of what the super relativity and unified field theory are for people who don't know it. Can we explain it a little bit? You know, actually take your time, take your time, explain the whole thing. So people understand it. Cause I'm sure you could explain it way better than I ever could. So I'll give you the floor to do it. Well, let's just start from the beginning. My, you know, I'm just answering the question is the unified field theory possible to understand is it is it real is it, how do you do it so that was you know einstein's great thing and, and what was the unified field theory basically electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field so now we're at the base we're at the core of reality right now so we're dealing with uh, two really three fields electrostatic field the magnetic field and then the gravitational field. These are all deformations. What does that mean? Bending of space. Those three fields or forces are different types of bending of space. And the fundamental field, well, what's that? The fundamental field is um, the ether. That, it, it's so simple. The universe is only really made of one thing, the ether. And um, that's all there is. Everything else is made from that. So all the particles that make up all the objects we see in the universe, all of the particles are electromagnetic. So how does that happen? Well, first off, at the core of reality, in that very first moment, whenever the universe was born, there was nothing but charges. Electrostatic charges are vortexes. They're twists of space. And I think I got something here I can show you to show you what like an electron looks like. See how it winds like that? It starts at a point. A conical shape kind of. That's a vortex. That's a a, a twist of space. And um, you need that in order. The electrostatic charge is a twist of space. And when you have that structure, that forms uh, within it a pressure gradient. And that's what is needed for motion. So particles need to move. This breathes life into the universe. Without particles in motion, it's dead. Nothing happens. And it's like Einstein said, nothing happens unless something moves. That was a very deep statement that went just over everybody's head. (laughs) I don't think they really got it uh, because that was an incredibly important statement. Right, right. That makes me think of everything vibrates at a frequency. When yeah. you say that, um, and that, that frequency determines it, yeah. where it is on the spectrum and how, you know, mm-hmm. even as human beings and even rocks, the earth vibrates as in the Schumann resonance. And, but keep going. That yeah. just popped in my head when you said that. So what we start with is 
uh, in the theory of superrelativity, we reestablished that the ether does exist because right now scientists don't believe, or most scientists don't believe in the ether, even though they've tried, tested for it over and over again over the decades, still thinking it got to be existing, but the, the experiment is flawed. And I go into my book and explain why the, the, that particular experiment, the Michelson-Morley experiment, is a flawed experiment. It will never detect the ether wind by using photons. But to get back to the, the basic theory of superrelativity, it's founded in uh, the ether theory, and it's also an intelligent design. So behind all of this, all of this particles, the forces, the winding, the twists of space, all of the mechanisms that are needed in order to create the force of gravity and magnetism uh, come about from the motion of charge. So that's that's it base, basically. And then the intelligence design comes in, which is very important. One must realize that in reality, God did create everything. And I have many, many NDE people who have come forward and said, he told me, <laughs> God, the light said, I created it. And he demonstrates how and he describes it in detail. Like Father Rick Wendell said, uh, all of these three-dimensional world is within God. There is nothing outside of God. Everything within this physical universe has to correspond to laws, and God set those laws. They are immutable as God is immutable. None of this, what we see and experience, is an accident. It is intentioned by God. And I say that in my book. When you get to the core, the foundation, the creation, all of this was by God's intention. I say, I use the same words. <laughs> Uh, the power of intention is what I, I, I speak of the most. And all of this comes about so that, you know, we can have a physical stage to act out our lives on. And these experiences are deeply important uh, that we take back to the Father when our lives are over. But this universe was created for life so that we can explore things and have limitations and limitations, and we can have suffering, and we can have joy and pain and all that things. But this whole design, all this clockwork was put in, in motion by the Father. And if you want to know what is different from me than many scientists, uh, especially quantum mechanics people, is that if you believe in an intelligent design, then you know there is a creator. And if you want to know how something works, you ask the person that created it. That's what I always did at IBM, troubleshooting. When something broke down, I'd go to the people that created that something and ask them, how is this supposed to work? These are the symptoms. What's going on here? And the people who create things know what's going on. And, and all I did here was use other resources, uh, mediums uh, a little bit, uh, but my own intuition and reading and logic and uh, all the, I, I used it all. I took information from everywhere. I didn't screen anything out and say, that's not worth it. That's not, you know, real. If it made sense, if it, <laughs> I could verify it with experiments and other things, 
that got included and I used it and I, you know, I tested it, these ideas. So over time, I was able to come up with a completed theory using all the tools at my, uh, at my, you know, uh, disposal uh, that I could find. And, and the internet was incredibly important and I couldn't have done it without the internet because I was able to look up documents that were hundreds of years old. I, I could go back to Newton's time, to Maxwell's time, and read read about what they were thinking and saying, because I wanted their model, their physical model. I wanted to know and understand the reasoning behind the math. So that's the theory of super relativity. That's how it came about. It's a logical, sensible theory. And... Um, there's it, it gets more involved because there's many layers. I've given you the basic, the foundation. Everything comes from the ether. The forces uh, are bendings of space. A magnetic field is a rotation of space that occurs as a the charge that I show you is spinning. Well, the spinning causes a rotation. So when the charge moves, as it spins, the space rotates around it. That's the magnetic field. And we know in science, we know this for sure, that a magnetic field always has to have a moving charge as its cause. That they know for sure, you know, not really paid attention to it that much, but that's the way it works. So that explains magnetism. So all that was left to do was to explain how an electromagnetic field could create gravity. And I did that in my book. I, you know, I, I admire the way you went about it, too, using everything at your disposal to make what you know to be fact become apparent to other people. And that is that's tremendous. And I, and I you know, I, I wish I had more of that in me sometimes. I really have to follow the, those guidelines myself a little bit more. But, you know, this to me is super fascinating because when we explore, like I was talking to you before, when we explore things that are, let's say, theorized or what reality actually is and and you know you hone it down here into a scientific into a scientific equation which then we can use to further other fields based on this theory that's why it's so important i think this is such important work too and you know sometimes when somebody like yourself comes out with these incredible findings science has pushback for one reason or another have you received pushback from the scientific community against your theory um a little bit in certain meetings where there are some physicists present not all physicists uh do this i find that the more secure they are in themselves and there's in their knowledge and so forth the less they give the pushback the le- they're not rude on, on the other hand, there are many out there, and, and I could you know, name some websites where they hang out. They're very hostile to uh, alternate, I guess you would call my, my theory an alternate theory. Uh, they, they don't like those. If it's not in a textbook, if it's not something they could verify somehow, they're not open for discussion, and they ban those discussions and and people that have those discussions and even ask questions that challenge they get upset even at certain questions you ask like why do particles move that one can really tick them or explain explain magnetism 
I mean, really explain it. <laughs> it's very hard for them to do. And I have an example of that in the book I put in there. Richard Feynman attempts to explain magnet magnetism, and it's it's not a it's an epic fail. But you know, I respect the man. He's a great man, and I like him a lot. But he should have just said, you know, we don't really know how it works. Instead, he tried to tell the guy. Mm, you you don't have enough background to really understand this. Uh, even if I did the math and did all these things, you you you're not going to understand it. So, you know, he just goes on and like for like twenty something minutes. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> ego. That's ego. Right. He doesn't want to admit that he didn't think of it first, and that's well, how I I feel a lot of scientists are like that. If they don't come up with it, they're going to denigrate it until you know because it didn't come from them. Well, you know, and I've gotten some uh, in some of these meetings and stuff. There's one guy that started yelling, and I and I remain calm. I says, "I'm sure you don't believe in this or whatever, but that that doesn't change my opinion and my ideas. And you know, when time's right, I'm going to push forward. Right now, what I'm doing is going to these types of shows because everybody's open minded. They're excited about this, and they understand it." And uh, but I have to move to a scientific venue at some point here and so at some point. So I'm preparing a, an official document uh, uh, as would someone like Einstein, you know, or a research paper to upload to um, to uh, journals and so forth. I mean, I have to do this. I have to go into their arena and, you know, fight the battle there. I got to give them a chance to, you know, look over my ideas with the math and everything. And I'm, I'm working on that right now. As soon as I can finish that, they're going to get uploaded and then we'll see how it goes. Will there be some pushback? Yeah, but I'm not taking it personally. I can't because if I go down that road, it just falls apart. You can't take this stuff personally. You just, it's my job to get this information out there and I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'll, <laughs> I'm just going to go forward. And some, I realize that some people are not going to embrace it for various reasons while others will. Hopefully we get enough people on the right side of this thing, because what's the big bonus? Why am I doing this? It's because I want to get anti-gravity into the mainstream of life. I want everybody to have, and we're going to need anti-gravity and interstellar spacecrafts uh, for safety, for the perpetuation of our species, because this planet could go bad at any time. And we're going to need to be able to go somewhere else and colonize and continue on. So that's vitally important that I succeed. You know, so I'm going to give it the best I have. You know, and that is so you're doing something that is so selfless in that act as well, because, you know, you know, you're going to face this pushback a little bit, which is fine. Some people can handle it. Some people can't. I like to think I have thick skin, too, and I could take you know, since I am on a platform like this, people say things all the time and usually it's good, but sometimes it can be bad, too. But, you know, I that's another thing that I truly admire is this information has to get out for the betterment of mankind and the species itself. For us to excel to our next phase of existence, 
we have to be able to go out. And by doing that, you went in to broaden the outside. And that to me is, is it's such a great thing. It, it, people don't realize like what the, 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 like I keep saying the magnitude, but the magnitude of this discovery is epic at its core. And the fact that you said, you know, I'm a firm believer in God. I, w- I was raised Roman Catholic. I stay, I, I kind of fl- flooded away from the church itself. And somebody said this to me today, too, during an episode that we do on stereos on, on, uh, in the morning. A gentleman by the name of Elvis. And no, it's, it's not hunk a hunk of burn and love Elvis. But he does sound a lot like him. I'm not going to lie about it. But uh, he said you have to separate the church and faith. Because the church was made by man and it's fallible by corruption. The faith is made by God and God is infallible at his purest form. Just like you said, he's immutable. You know, when you get down to it, this is a symbiotic relationship between everything. Space, the planet, the animals, the life, the ecosystems. We are jumping from this place where we were naturalists into an age where we're almost more scientific so we have to get back to preserving what we have i think as a community and what you're doing is you're giving us the ability to alleviate some of that stress on the planet by making it so we can go colonize other places as well because are you kidding me if i could go you know to a station on mars and stay there and do research i would be there in a minute and i'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of other people who would do the same thing not to mention we wouldn't be such a burden here as well but you know it's it goes with what's the next step in life and i think that expanding our spirituality comes by broadening our horizons as well so going out that far maybe we can find other well, i don't want to say species or beings but other things like us in just in this universe alone that gives us a little bit more idea of where we came from not on a fundamental level, as in we know we were created by God, but what else has he done? Who are our brothers and sisters out there in this universe? Right. There's there's tremendous amounts of knowledge to be gained by being able to converse with other species from other planets and uh, just seeing other planets and, and seeing different types of biology. And and uh, it's just, it's it's going to be a good thing for us to join our brothers and sisters in the stars and become, you know, stop being terrestrial so much and start to be more celestial in our, our explorations. And um, it's, it's an evolution. What I'm talking about is the evolution of man. I want to help bring that about. And the best way to do that is to build starships so that we can know for sure, there are alien species, and stop with this. Oh, it's a bunch of baloney. It's, of course, there are. Mathematically, if you look at it, the amount of planets and stars that are in just this universe alone are staggering the amount. How could there not be life elsewhere? What are all these people seeing in the sky, these UFOs? Are they all wrong? Are they all seeing Venus or swamp gas? I don't think so. Even if it's only 1% that are alien aircraft, then there's aliens. But believe me, the percentage is much higher. Uh, This is the stuff we got to 
start dealing with. We got to advance ourselves. We got to take our heads out of the hole and lift up and look around. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to help do. We got to try to move forward. So it's, it's in everybody's best interest here on the planet Earth to move forward, build the starships, build the anti-gravity machines or the hovercrafts, which will be incredibly useful for people on, on Earth. Uh, absolutely. Now, if you could explain to people, if we, let's say we had an aircraft or a spacecraft and we wanted to use anti-gravity, how do you think that it would be used and what exactly would it do to get us out there that fast? Well, I have uh, I discovered something while working uh, in my last job, uh, sitting at my desk. I, I looked at this uh, this um, this thing, the standard model, found the pattern in it, which led me to the discovery of slipway, but it also led me to discovery of what causes gravity and what doesn't cause gravity. And it's all about a specific type of motion. So I don't want to deviate too far from the question because you're asking about, you know, traveling uh, into interstellar space. So what's important, so I don't want to deviate. I'm, I was about to deviate there. I'm picking it back on to the question here. What we want to do in order to travel into other star systems, we have to break the light speed barrier. And in order to break the light speed barrier, you have to bias space. You have to do things to it so that you can travel within it faster than the speed of light. So what I discovered in my office years ago was the slip wave. Um, but I got to the idea of the slip wave because I discovered the cause of gravity. And this is a, a, a lot of links I'm going to go through. But I discovered that the motion of a particular particle did not cause contraction of space. And that was the photon. Why? Why doesn't the photon have mass when all the other particles do? And basically, it was simple. All the other particles were unbalanced charges. The photon is a balanced charge. It's half positive and half negative. And when it's built in that way, its structure determines its direction of motions, which is always in a straight line, always straight line, and always at a constant speed. No acceleration. That means no acceleration. If you don't accelerate, you don't contract space. If you don't contract space, then there's no gravity. So it's motion was why it doesn't have gravity and its motion was determined by its structure its balanced charge all the other particles are unbalanced and i'm talking about fundamental particles which people can get confused about composite particles uh, but fundamental particles they all have they're all moving like this this is accelerating motion this causes contraction of space and so forth so now getting back to, um, I linked a little bit in the past to get you up to the slipway, which is the the thing that we're going to use to build starships. Slipway, the slipway, I got the idea from Mother Nature because I figured out how particles move. What was the cause of particle motion? And I says, hey, you know what? A, a particle light merely moves fast. <laughs> how does it 
go that fast. Uh, and, and Maxwell had the idea um, many years ago. He said it had to do with the permittivity and permeability of space. Well, what are those things? Those are properties of space. Well, if space has properties, then it must be a real thing because a thing that's a complete void, uh, empty, emptiness, nothingness, can't have properties like permittivity and permeability, which are two aspects that determine how the the electrostatic and a magnetic wave build up and you know have a resistance to their motion in space, an impedance, you might say. Uh, and since space has a little bit of this stuff, uh, he was able to determine, Maxwell, that is, he was able to determine that if you, there's, they have this very specific number of permittivity and permeability. And he determined that the speed of light C equals one over the square root of permeability times permittivity. So with the equation built like that, if you increase the permittivity and permeability, you'll slow down light. We don't want that. Not if we're trying to beat the break the record. Right. If you can decrease those two things, uh, you will be able to go faster. And if you take them to zero, you can go infinitely fast. So we're talking about a spaceship that can really move out, depending on how you modify, you bias that space, and you and you do that by quite simply using a magnetic field because it rotates and when it rotates, it stretches space. And when you stretch space, you decrease its density. When you decrease its density, you affect its permeability and permittivity because you're reducing the amount of that substance that's there. You're lessening it. And so now you can, now you have a new speed of light capability. All you gotta do is crank up a magnetic field, surround your ship with it, create a gradient wave and you will have velocity in a direction which is obviously very important you've got to be able to propel it not just create anti-gravity and float that's pretty boring. right <laughs> you got to go forward so you got to go forward space with a spatial bias drive what i call call the slip wave spatial bias drive enables us to break the light speed barrier by as much as we want you don't want to take it down to zero because if you, you do that, it, you go so fast, you're going to be lost in an instant. You're going to be probably out of the, not just out of the galaxy, you might be out of the whole universe and in between universes. And odds are you're not going to find your way back. So you got to, you know, be mindful of what you're doing here when you, you got to know how, how much you're reducing space and you got to leave enough there so that you don't go infinitely fast, but you do want to go 30 or 40, maybe 50,000 times the speed of light. That enables you to get to the next star system in minutes, not years. If you go to the speed of light, it will still take you 4.2 years to get to Proxima Centauri. That's too long. That won't work. <laughs> and if you want to go farther, it's even longer. You want to get there in 15 or 20 minutes or an hour. And that's very doable with the slipway spatial bias drive, which is DVD, which is detailed in my book and how to build that, you know, in a very simple way. And um, you just got to understand the principles behind it. But uh, that's that's how you do it. That is how this 
that's how I'm sure aliens do it. Now, now the only other way I could think of is using a stargate and just jumping. Uh, right. Probably do that too. And odds are, if you see a spaceship coming out of a green mist, they're using a stargate. That's wild. You know, and you have to. You could use both it. are possible too. And that's the thing is, you know, and you're, you're literally, what you're doing is you're, taking something that everybody sees on star trek as like a warp drive just poop get it through but it's not warp it's anti-gravity and making it a reality which is awesome yeah we we want to take this out of the realm of science fiction it's it, all right it was fun it was great i love it you know helped inspire me and other people as well but it's time to actually start building these things and and how are we going to do that we got to convince mainstream science that magnetic fields can create anti-gravity and can be used for propulsion. And I'm sure the United States government knows about this already, probably since the mid 1940s, uh, you know, when they, then then they crashed craft uh, over in, uh, what was it? New Mexico or Nevada? Nevada. Roswell, New Mexico, New Mexico, Roswell. Yeah. From at least that time, and they probably collected several other craft along the way in this country and probably some other countries, too. And we were able to, I'm sure, reverse engineer. And some people who have flown over, usually airline pilots, over Area 51, have seen enough, have convinced me, yeah, we we have this technology, and they're not going to disclose it anytime soon. But, but who knows? You know, certain things are starting to happen now, maybe. Maybe they're getting ready to. I hope so. But um, that's true. You know, when they, and they have all this information. And that's one of the things I tell people all the time, too, is, you know, they have this basically the 180 days to disclose what they've found. And I tell everybody, do you really think they're going to tell you everything? They're going to give you a soft disclosure. They're going to tell you, OK, they might be here. We found these photos. Meanwhile, they have evidence upon evidence built up for you know, years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years of these things. And, you know, it's never going to get to that point. And I don't understand why they're holding back this information. I think that they think that it gives them power to have it. I can answer that. Go ahead. Uh, Strategic military advantage. It's just that simple. He who has the craft that can fly circles around jets and rockets owns the skies very true but wouldn't you think that there had been crashes other places and some of these other governments probably have some of the same stuff that we do if not something well, everybody's different playing dumb i think china may have it now the reason why i think china may have some is because in the vietnam war our boys went up against two craft and uh, they didn't fare well obviously these craft took the sides of the North Vietnamese. And who's on the side of the North Vietnamese but the Chinese? So you know, we were firing at these UFOs and the, somehow the UFOs managed to return fire using our own. Yes, in the canal over there. It was on one of the boats that they were doing a shift. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, That's right. That was a great story too, but so, wild. They threw missiles back at the actual yeah. boat. So they didn't understand that was I, to me, that would be some kind of deflection magnet that just whipped them around, you know, at mid flight. It could be. Uh, you know what? I don't I, I don't know. But it's something like that. 
they have technology and they were, it looked like to me, they were testing it out to see how effective they could be against ordinary, you know, materials that the other side has. Obviously, they were very effective, but you don't want to give that one away. That's like a last, you know, the technology of, of, of anti-gravity and all this other advanced stuff. You want to hold that back. That's your last resort, you know, for, you know, if somebody makes an all-out attack or something. You have this in reserve and you can launch things that take out all the missiles at once. And once you, you know, reveal it in just a standard little fight like Vietnam or whatever, uh, you know, at a, a lower priority, let's say, than, you know, a world-ending nuclear holocaust. <laughs> you hold back. I think the strategy is you hold it back in that if you really need it, you could launch things that could take out all missiles at you know once before they even get close to us, stuff of that nature. So right, I think, you know, until everybody, you know, at some point maybe somebody just says, "Yeah, you got it, we got it too," and so here we are again in another standoff. Right. I think about the ultimate black ops is to show up in a UFO shaped craft yeah. that looks otherworldly. Nobody will even think that you're. And you know what? That could account for the uptick in all these different UFO sightings. It's countries spying on each other disguised as UFOs. Some percentage of what we're seeing out there is actually us now. Right. I talked to somebody personally. I won't give any names. This person don't want to be known that they saw a craft that was definitely made here. Absolutely convincing. I, I won't give any more details of it. This guy convinced me we have these craft and we were testing them. And it's been many years since this happened. So we're way more advanced than that time period when this, this craft was spotted. And it definitely was one of ours. So, yeah, you know, we got them and we're probably we're probably going to other planets now. <laughs> I would think so. That's, you know, that makes the secret space program stuff very credible, too. When, when we start exploring some of these ideas, you know, a lot of people think that they've been abducted and brought to the secret space program, which, you know, I can't say whether there is or isn't. I don't know any of that. There's so many possibilities. That, you know, it's sometimes the things seem so fantastical, or usually the most true because of all the details that's in it. It's the wildest thing. But, you know, that, that leads me to the other thing is, is time travel. Could we ever achieve time travel from being able to go this speed within space or being able to go around the axis of the Earth at that kind of speed in orbit? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to have to straighten this one out because this is tricky. When we use my system, the slipwave spatial bias drive, all of the Lorenz transformations change. Those are the things you're, you're talking about here. If you go fast, fast toward the speed of light using a conventional propulsion system, when you get to the speed of light, time stops on your spaceship, right? But not in a slipwave spatial bias drive. If anything, time goes a little bit faster. You could be going 50,000 times the speed of light and your time will be the same, will, will run at the same pace as earth time or a stationary time uh, of anything that's not moving at all. Uh, that's because you're changing 
the bias, your biasing space, you're changing the rules. The Lorenz transformations don't work because there's this new extension to their equations that needs to be added because now the mass of your ship is zero and um, the space is stretched so wide apart, time actually starts to click just slightly faster. And um, what else happens? So, so there is no really, you're not going to have a time paradox. There's no twin paradox going on. You can go in real time, which is just like Star Trek kind of says. Uh, you go over here. It takes you an hour to get there. Well, it's an hour on Earth, too. You get an hour back. It's an hour on Earth. So everything, the time actually becomes like absolute, like like Newton. Right, right. But this is because the, the experience of time was restricted by a velocity, which now no longer is a restriction because we can break that speed. So now the whole time thing uh, changes, but it's in a good way because you really don't want the Lorenz transformations to kick in. Not only does time work normally uh, in a slipway spatial bias drive system, but also you don't have that compression or contraction of space. If we use regular rockets, the ship would start to flatten out as it got toward the speed of light. The mass would increase. The power to accelerate more would be would, would be much greater. You would need all the power on Earth, then all the power in the sun, then all the power of the universe just to get the ship up to the speed of light. This is very impractical. Plus, you, it's hard to be alive and live with a ship that's flat as a pancake. Right. And yes, it would happen. There's a lot of physicists who would say, no, that's not, that's just a relative. No, it's real. It's you on a ship. If you look at your watch, it's going to stop. You're not even be able to move your hand forward in the direction of the spacecraft. It's going to take all the energy in your arm to even budget an inch. You're going to be flattened back to your seat. It's not a good scenario. Inertia is canceled inside of the slipway spatial bias drive field because you pull away. The thing that causes inertia is an interaction with your mass and space as it accelerates toward the speed of light. Well, when you pull the space out, when you stretch it so thin, there's almost none there, that inertia gets canceled. So that's how these guys in UFOs, they can be moving at, you know, 500 or, you know, let's say 1,000 miles an hour like this and make a right turn without dying. I mean, right. That in the jet. You know, our blood would clot, our hearts would stop, <laughs> would not work, you would die. You have to cancel inertia. Wow. Must. And the only way to do that is to bias the space. And you use it, you do that with a magnetic field. It's just that simple. And these are the things that are necessary. These are the things that have to happen for us to be able to break the light speed barrier. So on the other hand, if that field collapses and you're going 50,000 times the speed of light, there's not going to be a recovery. Oh, it's over. It's over. Obliterated. It's extremely dangerous. That's why you want to get to where you're going fast. You don't want to take your time. You don't want to go, you know, at two times the speed of light and take, you know, five years to get somewhere. Because if you have a failure anywhere in that five years time, 
because you're pushing it, you know, running lots of current through superconducting coils. And uh, there's a failure in those coils and you have inertial leakage. You know, people die instantly or your ship gets folded into something unrecognizable until the whole thing fails. And then you're just a black spot moving through space at, you know, 99% the speed of light. So you want to get to where you're going quickly and you need redundant systems. You need to design this thing not to fail while in motion. Hmm. How, how difficult is it to maintain this magnetic field? And is it difficult to create this magnetic field that you're talking about? And how, I mean, it's got to be, like you say, with superconductors, it's got to be a really, it's got to be pretty high voltage magnetic field. I mean, it's got to be some serious yeah. stuff going on. Uh, you know, without working with some physicists to determine, I, I know that the magnetic field has got to be at least in the hundreds of Teslas. That's going to be a hard, you know, with our current magnets, that's going to be a hard thing to do. Usually when we get over 100 or so, it's only an instantaneous boom, and then the magnet is shot, you know, so they do it for a brief moment, and they got to, you know, put a new one in there. You need steady state, high current, you know, it needs to be superconducting wire. Uh, so over the years, Knowing this, I looked for two things, and I looked for the Air Force to be looking for two things. And sure enough, they were. Air Force was there at every high magnetics lab all over the world. They were the, the chief benefactors, of, and they still are here in the United States, although you, you know they've taken their name off of the... <laughs> you know, they used to be, you used to be able to say, oh, yeah benefited or, you know, contribute contrib contributions from the United States Air Force at the at the main site there in, in FSU, where they have the uh, high magnetics lab. Uh, but you could see them, the Air Force, you read articles, you find stuff, you do a little digging on the internet. Everybody who worked on superconducting stuff, they were in on it. They were either buying up or giving them money <laughs> to research because I knew they needed the superconductor wire to make the superconducting magnets. Right. Must. You, you you can't do it with the ordinary wire. You just can't push enough current, and there's going to be heat problems and energy problems. Um, with a superconducting wire, you can push large currents much easier because there's no resistance. So, And then there's a power source. And, you know, anybody who had any ideas about, you know, a power source the size of a basketball that could generate maybe a megawatt or two. You know, they were interested in that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, yeah, that's wild. And and then the other thing, of course, uh, with few people know, or very few people know, is that it's very helpful to build the hull of your ship out of um, a left-handed material, which is what else? It's also called... Um, Oh, there's another name for it. Um, gosh, I can't think of the name right now. We can Google it. That's the power uh, of the computer. It's a material that allow, allows you to manipulate the permittivity and permeability within the material. Uh, and I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> but it's it's called left-handed material. And um, But UFO guys know it by another name. Um, wow. 
It's not it, going to come to mind. They have like Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute talking about left-handed materials and uh, yeah. CERN's been using it. I mean, you're talking about lenses that they use that they made out of it. This Fractal is wild. Lenses. You're right. Fractal lenses is a meta material. Wow. Wow. <laughs> there it is. I got it. It just popped in my a meta material. That's so, it. See? See? Teamwork <laughs> makes the dream work. That's how we do it on this show. Well, the fractal lenses is a good example. Um, it's existing. I read it on ResearchGate. People have achieved making, you know, a metamaterial that basically allows electrons, I guess, or, or light particles within the material to travel infinitely fast. That's their claim. A material scientists and physicists, that's their claim. And, and because it has that property, you know, you can make some really nifty things with it. That, that's why, so, um, you know, there's a lot of detail that I don't know about. I won't get into, but there are many practical applications for that kind of material. And you'll find that most alien spacecraft will have, if it's the real deal, they really got a piece of it. It'll be a meta material. Why? Because that material will skate through space much smoother and easier than a material with ordinary configuration uh, because the, you can reduce within the material the permittivity and permeability that's a very helpful thing to a, a spacecraft you you want to do that because the field is doing that that surrounds the spacecraft but to have the material itself that way is very helpful and beneficial i'm sure it won't help you if you lose the field anyway, because the edges of the field will collapse, and then the whole the whole structure of that material will break down. But um, it's of it's very helpful to have a structure created, you know, a starship created, but using this particular type of material. And um, just, that's awesome. Yeah, that's there's awesome. so many factors involved that you know. So the government obviously is interested in metamaterials. They're interested in the high, you know, I feel that we probably already have created room temperature superconductors, but it was classified. Right, right. And that's the thing I was just thinking about is how many truths you uncovered while working through this equation and doing this work. <clears throat> you probably stumbled on so many I want to say odd sets of data or data points that you're looking at, like, wait a minute, what? Why would that be like with the with the uh, Air Force being in all the different types of superconductive, you know, magnet places and all that kind of stuff? What's the one thing that you didn't expect to find out or a fact or a truth that you didn't expect to find out that you did during your time working on this? The one thing I, I didn't expect and I was almost hoping that it wouldn't be possible was going back in time. And in the last chapter of my book, I was, I was asked and suggested that I write a chapter about a Stargate because, you know, along with my studies, you know, I went over the Philadelphia experiment and project Montauk and these types of experiments. And I could see that not only were they able to do dimensional travel, but, but it appears that they were able to do time travel as well, interdimensional time travel. And uh, in my next book, I'm going to tell, talk about all of that process and the person that helped me uh, with that process. 
and helped me discover metamaterials, which I did not know existed until they brought them up to me and used some terminology like the uh, fractal lens, which I also didn't know. When I read about those things, then I said, oh, my God, you can't build a Stargate because you need, in order to build a Stargate, in order to do time travel, you have to accelerate particles, either electrons or photons, faster than light. It's not going to work if you can't do that. So coming out of the framework of the Stargate frame, you're going to have particles that are moving within that framework, within that metamaterial, much faster than the speed of light. When they hit the air, as they're coming out of that framework, it's like an electromagnetic shock wave that comes out because those particles are moving enormously fast. So whatever wavelength they are, when they hit free space, it's going to be compressed to ultra high frequencies. And it's going to be like using a radio. If you know the frequencies and you can manipulate that, you create a portal. Basically, it opens up and you're looking at some other time, some other space, some other place. And I would love to know the physics and the mathematics surrounding how to tune that radio. Oh, man. Time. Uh, the reason why I, it was a surprise to me that you could go back to time, but I was very distressed and I'm still distressed about it because I don't want them messing with the past. A card laid is a card played. Don't mess with it. Don't change it. You could break things very badly. You got the butterfly effect to worry about. Uh, you know, people. Do you think that. maybe they've done it already? And that's kind of why we have the Mandela effect? Excellent. I was just, that was about to bring that word out when you said, <laughs> I was going to say, well, that's the Mandela effect. Right. Two <laughs> alternate timelines so close together that there's a bleed through between them memory wise. And I say this yeah. all the time and people go, well, I don't know. I said, I'm telling you, this is what it is. Yeah, that's the subconscious still recognizes there was some sort of change that shouldn't be there, a memory that, that they had from before. Uh, yeah, it, it's strange stuff. And, you know, I, I, I wrote that chapter. I put it in there. It's my most speculative chapter, believe it or not, <laughs> by far. Uh, but it's it's something to consider. I just ask them to to not go back in time, you know, future time is one thing, but. Uh, well, that could also manipulate the future too. If they go into the future, grab technology and come back to the present, you're alternate, you're ultimately shifting forward the technological advancements before their time, which right. in turn leads to cataclysm as we've seen. And that brings me back to this scenario where it's do movies mirror reality or does reality mirror the movies? What think, came first? I think it's both ways. I, it definitely is. It definitely <laughs> is. It, it's like it's a paradox question. You get lost in it because it can go both ways. But, you know, this is the fascinating stuff that I love touching on, too. And the fact that, that you know, there's, there's evidence that supports that we have gone back in time. In 1923, in a farm, I think it's in Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong. It might have been Nebraska. There was a gentleman who lived nowhere near anybody, stepped out of his front door, looked over his shoulder and saw a craft that just like a UFO, like you're talking about. And there was a man inside of it, not an alien, a man in a silver suit, just hanging out. And when he saw him, he goes, oh, crap, they make eye contact. And then the guy hides. 
because I thought he felt like he was going to manipulate the timeline by letting this person see him even, not yeah. even interact, but see him. Yeah. It's probably happening and it's been happening for decades. And it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, and it shouldn't be done without good, good reason, in my opinion. But who knows what the motivations of these people are that have this control or what, what their agenda is. Um, <laughs> Something else keeps popping in my mind, too. It's the you ever heard of a Corona visor where they're able to see into the past through a window of sorts? It's it, I don't know how it works or anything like that, but there's been stories about being able to open up like a, a window and just watching, not interacting, but watching through that moment. Like they can't see them somehow, but they're there almost. I mean, if you, what you're saying is completely possible if they, if they tune it right where you can't maybe walk through it, but you can view it, which would be really wild too. But you know, it, there's so much that goes along with this. We could talk for hours about this and, I, I really, I definitely want to get you back for a part two because we can go over what your next book's going to be about. But guys, I want to pull up, I want to pull up Mark's book. If you're not gonna, if you haven't gotten it yet, I, I, get it. This thing is wild. Okay, I am getting it. I'm going to read it. These conversations fascinate me. I love this work. It's the master of reality, the super relativity and unified field theory. This is what it is. This is where we are right now. And I go like this, and this is what I say to a lot of people. And we're not finished yet, but I wanted to make sure we promote the book a few times throughout the episode. But we are meant to be here right now. God has put us on this, or our higher power, whoever you believe in, has put us on this planet for this moment. Whether we've been here several hundred times, whether it's our first time around, we are here to witness this. And Mark is here to propel us into a new age of technology and the future where we can interstellar travel and we can talk and make treaties with alien life. We can swap knowledge of the universe and how things work and ultimately get to this point. This is exciting, at, at least exciting, monumental at best. This is, this, is, this is the moment. And I'm so glad you chose to come today. And it's an honor to have you here. I think people like you are pioneers and we need more people like you, Mark, out there to make sure that we all come together <clears throat> with the with the ability to show people that there's so much more than these little squabbles that we're talking about now between the right and the left politics, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, genders and, and, and race and, you know, that stuff falls by the wayside when there's something bigger at hand it doesn't matter anymore yeah yeah that's that's a whole nother subject all of that stuff i i try to stay out of that because it, it's too material it's too in this world if you studied ndes as i have i've read many i've watched many I, i'm fascinated because you can get a lot of wisdom great amount of knowledge and wisdom from people who have had NDE experiences. And this, the second you die and you get over on the other side, all the stuff that we're arguing about, you see, doesn't matter at all. At all. It, it's no, you lose your, 
your connection to the material world, the, you know, all the concerns, do I have money? Do I have a place to live? Or are they talking about me? You know, all these things that go on in your head that, you know, fears and stuff are gone because you're at that higher consciousness. Now you're connected back to God while we're here. We're kind of, I don't want to say totally disconnected, because if you apply yourself through meditation and so forth, you can reestablish some connection and, and get wisdom and get knowledge and, you know, be more self-assured and self-aware. Uh, this is the kind of things we need to work for, you know, and I, I try to, I'm trying to do that. So maybe if we get distracted by all these new technologies I'm talking about, we have aliens to consider. We'll stop squabbling with each other. Right. Start working <clears throat> together for mutual benefit. It's, anything is possible if we come together like that. And that's 100% right. Like you're vibrating at a frequency. And I can put you in touch with a gentleman by the name of Marlon Cox, who has had three separate NDEs through his life. And I actually just, uh, I just interviewed him on another summit we did. We did called Forgery Unmasked, where we talked about a lot of spiritual involvement. And another thing that's super, super important for people is to, is to essentially decalcify their pineal gland. That pineal gland is something that touches your soul and is a direct connection to your higher power. That's, it's been theorized. I personally think it's true. I've done stuff to decalcify my pineal gland, and it has helped me through meditation. 110%, but also practice, 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 practice. You you were bringing up something that I find very interesting. You're using the word decalcify. Are you talking about actually physically reducing calcium in the? In the pineal gland. Yeah. In between well, fluoride, there, there's fluoride and GMOs that produces a kind of like a calcium byproduct in your, in your pineal gland. When you take certain substances, it tends to break it up. You want to know what really does it really well? Magnesium. I've heard that too. I take nascent iodine every day for that. You, you and I recommend, highly recommend you do this research. Magnesium prevents heart disease. Use that phrase. Magnesium prevents kidney stones. Uh, use that one. That one you might not get many hits on. But that's how I got rid of kidney stones. Really? just searching on the internet. My brother said he saw these two guys talking in a, uh, just a, a chat comments section. And he gave me the link and I read their stuff. And I says, this guy's claiming that he, he he's a stone. I'm a stonemaker. I had 16 stones in like uh, 14 years. Wow. And they're, wow. they're all oh, hellish. Excruciating. Yeah. And I says, I got to find something that works. And this guy said, hey, I started taking magnesium and I stopped having stones. And then I went off it and then I started making stones again. I says, oh, I've got to try that. So right. I went and for seven years now, I've had no more stones. And I don't think that's just a coincidence. And then I started reading more and sure enough, magnesium takes calcium out of your soft tissues where it's not supposed to be and puts it into your bones where it's supposed to be. There's a chemical that, you know, I can't remember the name that works with the magnesium, but once you have enough of it, because we are deficient in magnesium in this diet that we have here in America, 
which then led to greater heart disease because heart disease is caused by calcifications in your arteries. Well, what's that? That's the same damn calcium crystal growing. In, and if you ever looked at a kidney stone, those things come out of you razor sharp. Mm-hmm. So if you're growing calcifications in your arteries and veins, there as your blood vessels are beating, you know, from your heartbeat to changing in pressure, you're moving slightly. And so these little calcium things are sawing away at your blood vessels. And when that happens, they start to bleed and then plaque builds up. Mm-hmm. Now you have heart disease. So if you get the calcium out of your heart and out of your blood vessels, you're probably not going to have heart disease anymore. And I found loads of studies where they've done tests on rats and mouse and monkeys and whatever. And heart disease doesn't seem to develop when. And they know this and they don't take steps. They do, but no, you know, I haven't seen any official announcements. My heart doctor never recommended that I take magnesium. Right. That that's that's holistic medicine because it's natural. These are some of the things that they used to find within foods and you know, water that ran through specific streams had in it because of the rocks that were around it. I mean, these are the these substances used to be more prevalent in our in our digestive tract, in, in 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 just about everything. The water we drank, and that's the problem, is they want to take everything. And this is where sort of I don't want to call it science. It's more like the medical field, but medical field still kind of is science where they take too much to science and they, and they, they would rather give you a pill to stop everything and anything that, that does more harm. Yeah. They don't fix the root cause. Right. So what I'm saying, and I want to back up what you're, you're saying uh, about the, the problem with the diet and everything. Uh, What I read in these articles is back in the thirties and forties, we farmed the magnesium out of the soil and we didn't put it back with our fertilizers. So then we, we've all 75% of our nation is magnesium deficient. I remember I had the blood test. I was, you know, I remember the doctor saying, well, you're really low on magnesium. And nobody said, well, that's bad for you. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, what does that mean? You know? Now I have my blood tested and it's perfect. He says, boy, your magnesium level is perfect. Well, that's because I'm taking like 700 milligrams a day now. Five wow. Morning and 250 at night. And uh, <laughs> it fixed my um, kidney stone problem. And I'm very happy about that because I got three kidneys and it makes more stones than two kidneys. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, you know, the, the, those types of things could be easily corrected by a transfer. You know, to, we, we could, these are the things I think that they should be worried about, you know, trying to put that magnesium back into the soil. So when these, when this crops grow, they get the nutrients of what it was. People used to, it, it's weird because people live longer now, supposedly, as they say, but back then they were healthier and they were more, they were more, I, I don't want to say, like, they were just, it was more organically tended to the body with foods and all the GMOs and all the things that they're putting into these into these specific types of foods that we eat on a daily basis. And listen, I'm like everybody else. I can 
go through a box of donuts in a week because I'm I'm gross sometimes. But you know, those types of things wouldn't be such a big deal if the other stuff was okay. You could treat yourself to those things. But what happens is it all goes downhill because it's all bad for you. It's like we're not consuming the same types of proteins, minerals, and vitamins that we used to. And our bodies are basically every generation is like a spinoff of the last one. So over time now we've evolved to where we're all deficient in something. And, you know, and, and that goes along with mental health, physical health. Everybody's got some kind of problem now. There are no just healthy people. Uh, they're rare. Everybody has some sort of, you know, they need something. And I think that has to do a lot to do with pharmaceuticals, too, and misdiagnoses. There's a lot of factors, but I think we need to start contributing some of our science to those things and regaining those essentials into our diets and, and getting our bodies back to the, the, the basically like, like the, the zero, the net zero of it, where well, we started. Well, if, if I'm right about this heart disease problem, it turns out that it wasn't what we were eating that was killing us. It was what we weren't eating. It was a deficiency. Right. How ironic is that? <laughs> All this don't eat cheese. Well, yeah, yeah, don't eat drink milk or cream. Well, yeah, you know what those things have in them? Loads of calcium. Sure, those made it worse. <laughs> if the calcium isn't in, in your soft tissue, you're not going to have these problems. All I can say is do the research yourselves. Look up magnesium prevents heart disease. Read the articles. Read the, the tests that were done and decide for yourself. I mean, that's my recommendation on this. I'm not a doctor. But, you know, I did this research myself. And, I'm you know, I'm convinced that taking magnesium as a supplement is going to be very good for your long-term health. So I recommend the people listening out there you know, if you have a history in your family of heart disease, you might want to look into this. This could be of great benefit to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Usually I ask people what's next for them. Uh, you, I think you've already told us you're working on that second book, but what else are you working on right now besides the book? What, or tell us a little bit more of what the book will be about would be something that you could tell us. Well, my current book is, is scientific based. There's, you know, I talk about the history of physics, science, the mistakes they made, fixing the mistakes, the theory, the unification of gravity to electromagnetism, all that stuff. Uh, I don't want to scare anybody. Uh, if you're listening out there, don't be afraid to get the book because it's science-oriented. I wrote it for the layman. Uh, there's only a couple of parts where I marked where if you don't want to bother reading the technical details, you could skip. You just skip that section uh, and you could still have a great experience. I wrote this book for the layman so everyone can understand it. When you read it, you will nod your head and say, how did we not know this? <laughs> we should have figured this out decades ago, but uh, there's been things in the way that altered the thinking of physicists, mainly quantum mechanics, which kind of takes you out of an object of reality into a kind of more abstract idea of how things work, which is not the right path. So really what I did in this book is I, I went back to the future. I went back in history, found the errors, fixed them, brought everything forward, saw the patterns, put it all together, 
assembled a new theory, finishing theory, did the math and it's done. And, and that's good. So the next book, I'm going to talk about the spiritual side, you know, my, all the strange, and there are many strange things, you know, that I personally experienced and how those things prove to me that there's a God, that there's a Jesus, that there's an afterlife. There's a, all, you know, it's not a matter of this religion is better than that religion. All the religions are good. It's our misinterpretation of those religions that's gotten us in trouble. You know, rewriting yes. the book to edit things out or add things that, you know, to manipulate the thinking and get people arguing with each other over my religion is better than yours. No, not according to the NDE people. They say basically they're all right. It's just a matter of interpretation. We shouldn't be squabbling. It should be about love and how you love your fellow man and how you have compassion and virtue and all these things. This is what you should be working on. And, and religion can help you have that personal relationship with God, which everybody needs to have. If you have that, you'll make better decisions. You'll live a happier life. And when you get to the other side, your rewards will be greater. That's that's what the kind of this next book's going to be about because there's a lot of spiritual things, medium things, things that I encountered, uh, spirit guides that you know about my spirit guides who have helped me tremendously, even though there were times when I didn't listen and I, I almost paid with my life. Um, that's that's what the, the new book's going to be about. It's basically a prequel to this one, it's about everything leading up to this moment and to get people to realize, like you said, you, you get it, you know, this is monumental. What's in the book, the unified field theory is the Holy grail of physics. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's so epic. I, I don't have words to express how big it really is. It's really going to be, uh, uh, to use terms a propulsion system straight into the future yeah, and straight into where we're supposed to be. And anti-gravity and, and faster than light speed travel is even like a magnitude or more <laughs> bigger than the unified field theory. And this is all in one book. This just doesn't happen very often, something of this magnitude. And so, you know, the book is going to be about how I, it's not an accident. There's nothing in accident that's going on in our lives. No such thing as coincidence. Uh, the, when I first got into spiritualism and uh, mediumship, uh, I remember we were going to, um, a friend and I were going to a medium for the first time. I heard about it. Uh, I was at community college. A professor was talking about it, and it sounded exciting and fun. Let's go get our fortune told. So me and a bunch of guys went to Casadega. I don't know if you've ever heard of that place. It's here in mm -hmm. Florida. It's the spiritualist capital of North America. And the town is loaded with mediums. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually work with a medium in my one of my paranormal teams. She's also one of my teammates, like, through everything that we do, broadcasting and all that. She's a teammate of mine. Her name is Rescue Medium Melinda. She's gone as far as to help police officers find people. I mean, she is the real deal Holyfield. I've mm. seen a lot of them, encountered a lot of them. Some are good. Some are just BSing their way to, the, right. to get people Some to do whatever they need them to do. Yeah. Right. But she has even I've seen her change skeptics minds, even the most skeptical people. She has 
like you know i don't talk about a, a lot of people but i i've seen it i've seen her turn the tide on the most you know realist critical thinker that doesn't believe in any of the uh the the you know the metaphysical properties of of you know the veil and things like that they don't believe in any of it so she has completely 180 these people uh-huh. you know I, if i say 360 they'd be back where they started but they're not so you know they she's 180 these people and it, it, it just to watch them embrace it is it in itself i mean I, I one thing i also love is the fascination with the human condition the way people take information and the way that sometimes their own they, they put these blinders on to to manipulate their own reality because reality is a construct we all live in a reality of our own choosing you know so when they don't want to hear something and then it gets told to them the reaction there is 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 epically classic whether they shut down don't want to see it or whether they embrace it and i am one of those people who is ready to embrace those moments even if i'm wrong or i might not be right on everything but you know what i'm i'm the forever student i'm here to learn and i keep that with me every day because somebody says things that are so profound like like i i have to watch this once we finish a couple of times because there's so many profound things you said and as you were saying them i could feel just things coming to me that maybe you know i didn't put together before and that is ultimately learning so this sure. this whole this whole you know interview was an amazing experience for me and i and i think it's awesome i think it's awesome what you're doing and i can't wait to get the book and see what's next i think it's going to be you know you're going to you're going to be a pioneer that takes us into some different realm at some other time you know what i mean you're going so. I'm, I'm trying this is what i got to do now i got to go on these shows i got to talk it's my job it's my task to finish this writing the book just wasn't enough uh you know at first when i first came out with i said oh, okay i've done my part i wrote the book you know put it out there somebody will find it and figure everything else out and everything will be hunky dory but then i've come to realize that no you're not and you've got you have to do more work now than you did before it took four years to write the book but it's going to take many more years to get the word out there get people moving in the right direction get people doing mag- uh, experiments with magnetics <clears throat> physicists to realize that uh, the unification of the unified field theory is here now and we're ready to move forward and so I've got a lot of work to do. It's my job, my responsibility to come out and talk. And I appreciate you having me on your show to give me the chance to talk to you, meet you, make friends. And hopefully there's some other people out there as well. I, you know, I welcome the emails and people give me suggestions and things to look into and whatever. I do all that. Keep My day is full. It's busy. Unfortunately, I'm retired from regular work, so I, I can do this stuff full time and uh, well, we appreciate you coming on, and it's been an honor. And you always have a place to come and speak your mind here at Full Spectrum Universe, for sure. And I'm actually going to pass your information along to a couple of other people that I work very closely with that do shows as well to help get the word out even more That's to great. bigger and better audiences. Uh, we're, we're growing, so we're in that stage. I'm really proud of what we've done so far, but we're going to propel alongside you. While you're going that way, I'm going to go this way, and then we'll meet in the middle again. But I would love for you to come back and do a part two of this, too, because there's still a lot more to go over. We're running at about an hour and a half. I want to give people a moment to digest what we've already told them. And then we're going to go even harder next time. It's going to be amazing. But I want to give you a chance to say anything you want to say before I do the closing. 
And again, it's been an honor and a privilege to have you here. I really appreciate you coming on. I respect the hell out of you, and I think your work is amazing. And I can't wait to talk to you further. But go ahead. Right. One quickie. Uh, big announcement. I try to remember to do this on each show. I'm also, I made another discovery, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> the sun has a solid neutronium core. I want the astrophysicists to see if they can verify that all stars are born from neutron uh, from solid neutronium uh, and it came out in my book i talk about where the neutronium spheres come from the seeds of life that help form all the stars the planets and galaxies you had to have in order to form stars you had to have a gravitational force strong enough to draw the gases in this makes perfect sense it's in my book and i want to tell everybody about it do the research, uh, tackle line uh, measurements will have proven already there's something solid in our sun. And this is measurements coming from NASA. There's something rock solid in there, and I know what it is. It's neutronium. So it's all I talk about it in my book. So I invite everybody to look into that and study that because that's a big, also another big breakthrough in astrophysics. Love it. Love it. New stuff coming to the table all the time. And we're honored that you would bestow us with that information that may not be known to everybody and putting it out there with us. But guys, once again, please go and get Mark's book, The Master of Reality. Mark, where can I find your book? It's on my website, uh, www.super-relativity.com. And of course, you can always get it at Amazon and you can get it in a Kindle version or the paperback on Amazon. I'm going to put your website up in the description so people have it and it'll be with the show itself so everywhere it is on YouTube and Rumble and BitChute so they can go directly to your website and purchase from you directly instead of going to that other place. But because I think that that would be better for you, I'm sure Amazon usually takes a cut and we don't want to pay the big machine all that money. We'd rather give it to you. <laughs> Do you have. Um... A regular website, or it, we are we're working on it now. It's not quite ready yet, but when we unveil it, it will be there as well. So you're on YouTube and Facebook, basically. YouTube, Facebook, Bitshoot, Rumble, Telegram, uh, we're everywhere, but just okay. not with an actual HTML yet. We're working on it because we're going to be doing a news organization with it as well, where we write our own news articles. Well, you're doing a great job, by the way. I just want to let you know that you have a great voice for radio. Thank you. Voice. Thank uh, you. And you, very professional way you did everything. Uh, I really enjoyed this show. Be looking forward to coming back and doing another one. Definitely. Awesome. And, uh, I what you're doing is very important. Have no doubt, you are on a very important mission yourself. And people like you who are doing these shows, you're getting the word out. It's vitally important. And I wanna wanna continue to suggest to you guys that you form a big network somehow somehow get your own tv channel eventually if that's possible we're we're, we're looking at it we're looking at that stuff on hulu or somebody like that or amazon prime i don't know get some sort of deal because you guys could have content you could fill it up 24 7 all the time and people just love this stuff and so what you're doing is very important keep keep going Doing Thank it. you. I definitely will. I have I have a, a mission and a passion for this that rivals everything else in my life. It's really it's, it, 
I love learning. And this knowledge has come to me via people like you bestowing the, us with their presence and coming on. And I get that firsthand. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And I, I, I didn't always know that I wanted to do this. I, it took me a while to figure it out. But when everything got shut down, I had a chance to redirect my energies. And I have never been happier in my entire life than doing this right now because I know that I was gifted by God with the gift of Gab, and now I'm using it for good, for, for things that need to be said. And once we get, like I said, the intellectual society up and running, we don't have a name for it yet. We're getting the people together. I would love for you to come do a workshop. I want you to just, you know, stay in touch with us and be a part of it if you can, whenever you can. But okay. having somebody like you in our corner is, it means worlds to us. And, you know, I, I so appreciate you coming by today. It has been such an enlightening conversation for me on a, a you know, on a mental level, on a spiritual level. I love this information and we love people like you. So keep doing the work you're doing as well, because it is beyond important. What I do is paled in comparison to what you're doing right now. So, you know, and without people like you, we wouldn't have a message to put out. So I, I, I want to thank you again. It's been so amazing. And, you know, from us, from us at FSU or full spectrum universe to you over there, I hope everybody has a great evening or day or whenever you're seeing this, you know, and one of the things I say at the end of every episode, don't trust everything I say, look it up for yourself. That's the important. We need people out there to be critical thinking and researching because the way you see it might not be the way I see it, but when we come together, magic happens. So with that note, I'm going to, I'm going to take this episode out. I want to thank Mark again for coming by. He is always welcome to come back anytime he feels he wants to. And I'm going to schedule you for another show very soon. And we'll do this again. We'll do a part two. But thank you, Mark. It's been an incredible ride. And so, guys, it's time for you to get back in your spaceship and go back to your universe because this is Full Spectrum Universe. And we'll see you next time.